0: Well, as you're taking your seats, let me invite you to take your Bibles and open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, our ushers are walking towards the front here. They're going to turn and walk towards the back. Just slip your hand up in the air. We want to make sure a Bible gets across to you. And if you don't own a Bible, then this is our gift to you this morning. It's a fitting morning to receive a Bible. Uh, We are going to be talking all about the Word of God. The title of the sermon this morning is Getting Back to God's Word. Now, I think we can all admit here that there have been um, in our lives um, aspirations, objectives, and goals motivated oftentimes by good intentions. There are things that we have sought that started out really well, but finished very poorly. And I think that we can all resonate with the, the kind of the New Year's resolution mentality where you say, I'm making these changes, and then a week later you're like, what happened? Right? In fact, some of us love making New Year's resolutions so much that we do it multiple times a year over the same issue. And I think that this is probably common in your life, as it often, sadly, is in mine. I think the, the most classic example of a New Year's resolution gone bad tends to be, especially in our culture, the resolution to change my life physically, isn't it? I, this is going to be the year where I get back to my prime, you know, like back when I was like 20 years old. Good luck with that. I'm going to change everything. I got a new diet. I got a new workout plan. I'm going to start hitting the gym. Yeah. I think we can all resonate with this. Pretty soon, things begin to get busy. We get sick. We get stressed. We get tired. We get tired. Maybe, maybe you haven't fallen off yet, but you can feel the temptation to go off the rails in this pursuit. You're tempted to not go today, to not eat the same way today. You know, we, we all have what we call to, you know, it's never we're dieting anymore or we're never just going to start a gym program. We, we like to do it like this. We, we're, we're changing our lifestyle. That's the language we like to use. My new lifestyle, I'll tell you this, my lifestyle usually goes off the rails every time McDonald's offers hamburgers for 67 cents. Okay? (laughs) And then you're stuck in this place. Where you're like, okay, now I got to get back where, to where I was. I gotta get it back on, and we go through this cycle. We're like, okay, I'm already this far gone. Maybe tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes. We're like, you know what? Maybe next week. And then another week goes by. And then another week goes by. And then a month goes by. And pretty soon, we're looking back, going, what happened? You know, I think the same thing happens to a lot of Christians in their spiritual life. We begin to have goals and objectives. We say, maybe even like many of you this summer, I'm going to get spiritually healthy. I'm going to get back to where I used to be when I was on fire for the Lord, where things were really clicking. I was in God's word. I was praying. I was growing. It was amazing. I I felt revived and refreshed. I need to get back there. Maybe some of you had those kind of good intentions this summer, and as the summer quickly comes to an end, you're looking back and going, I don't know what happened. And the good news for all of us here today is this, that our God's a gracious God. Amen? So wherever you're at today, the good news is that God wants to meet you where you are, but he wants to, in his grace, take you to where he wants you to be. And one of the key issues in the Christian life, listen, as we are striving to finish strong, that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. Not just start the faith strong, but to finish strong, to run hard with perseverance, with endurance, to keep going right through the tape, leaning forward, expending ourselves. Sometimes when we've fallen off the rails, we need to get back on, and the key to getting back on spiritually is getting back to God's word. It's inevitable. You can trace this in your life. Whenever you find yourself off spiritually, whenever you find problems beginning to creep up in your life again, sin that's rearing its ugly head, it's inevitable. You just trace the line back in your spiritual life, and what you will find almost without fail is that what you have neglected first and foremost that got you to this place in the first place was leaving the Word of God. And so it works this way that we want to get back to the word of God so that we can get back on track and become the people who God wants us to be. We can start and we can finish strong. Paul looks at Timothy and he's had a lot to say in the context of this letter. and Timothy is really in some unique circumstances. Life is hard, maybe like some of you today. He's being attacked From all angles, false teachers have crept up in the church, and Paul spent a lot of time addressing the false teachers. He spent some time addressing even their error. He spent some time calling out these false teachers. He's reminded Timothy, as we saw last week, listen, Timothy, this is just par for the course. If you're going to follow me, it's not always going to be easy. It may be very hard, and so if you're going to do this faithfully, Timothy, here's what you got to do. Let's get back to what matters most. Let's get back to the Word of God. For you and I this morning, My hope and my prayer is that God reminds us if you're faithfully walking with the Lord, if you're in God's word, or if you're struggling, listen, that the key to staying strong and finishing strong is getting back to God's word. Paul, we pick up the text, writing to Timothy begins in verse 14. Chapter three, verse 14. And here's what he says to young Timothy, the pastor of this church in Ephesus. He says, but as for you, work. This is a strong encouragement for Timothy to get back and to stay in what matters most. And it's a strong encouragement for us this morning. We need to get back to God's word. And if we're going to do that, we need to take these admonitions that Paul gives to Timothy. Let me frame them like this. First, you want to get back to God's word? Here's what you need to embrace in your life this morning. I need an ever increasing intake of God's word in my life. I need an ever-increasing, ongoing flow, IV drip of God's word constantly in my life. Paul sets up another massive contrast between the false teachers and Timothy. If you've been with us throughout this series in Second Timothy, you know that Paul keeps doing this, he keeps looking at the false teachers and kind of diagnosing them and what they're all about, and then looking at Timothy and saying, Timothy, but, but you're different from them, in fact, you're the antithesis of them, you're the exact opposite of them. Where they love error, you love truth. Where they teach false doctrine, you teach the truth of God's word. Where they believe and live in sin, you are to believe and live in righteousness, the very beginning in verse 14 shows this contrast. Notice the word "but." he says, "But as for you, in contrast to these false teachers who remember, are going from bad to worse," Paul says in the verse before, and from deceiving to be, excuse me, to, deceiving to being deceived. He says, "As for you, Timothy, you need to continue." You see, Timothy hadn't left God's word, but you can imagine in this situation, there, there was a temptation maybe to abandon his ministerial responsibilities to teach and proclaim the word of God. Maybe the pressure was getting to him. Maybe life is getting to you, and you feel like instead of leaning into God's word, you need to pull away from God's word. The word continue there is an important word. It means to remain or to abide. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John 15 to describe what it is to live a fruitful Christian life. He uses this word over and over and over again in John chapter 15. He says, remain in me or abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Abide in me and if my word abides in you, then you will bear much fruit. You see, to abide to continue to remain in God is to abide and remain in his word. And this is really important for every single one of us here because all of us, listen, if you're a strong believer, a weak believer, or you're an unbeliever, we're susceptible to the dangerous deception of not abiding in scriptures and not believing the scriptures. Again, this stands in direct contrast to the constant progress. We highlighted this last week. The false teachers are making a kind of progress. They view themselves as being very progressive and yet what Paul wants to highlight is they progress from bad to worse, from deceiving to being deceived. They progress in sin, right? They keep diving deeper into sinful thinking and sinful living. They're driven by an appetite for deeper and deeper levels of sin And yet what we know to be true of Scripture is that the child of God has already come to the source of unending truth and grace. We have the fountain of truth and grace handed to us by God himself, contained in his word. And as such, the child of God, listen, rather than seeking to go deeper and deeper in sin, seeks to go deeper and deeper into their understanding and love of God, their understanding and love of his word. You know, following Christ is more than just a one-time decision. It's more than just an occasional church service or even a kind act. True Christianity involves continual dependence and obedience to Christ the King. If we are going to have an ever-increasing intake of God's word in our lives, listen, here's a principle that we need to grab hold of. It'll be on the screen behind me. You need to embrace this in your life this morning. I cannot progress in the Christian life if I will not persist in God's word. This is a blatant, factual, biblical reality. If you don't progress in the Christian life, you can often look to your life and see that you're not actually persisting in God's words. And so where the false teachers persist in sin and progress in sinfulness... The Christian who persists in God's word will be blessed by progression in the Christian life. You will progress, listen, this is why this this matters to you this morning. You progress in righteousness, in godliness. You progress, listen, in joy, in satisfaction. All the things your heart longs for and seeks in this world cannot be met by this world, but they can when you lean into God's ever uh, unending source of truth for you. And that's exactly what Paul wants to kind of highlight for Timothy He says, continue in this, Timothy. Don't abandon it. Stick to it. And I want to give you some foundational reasons, some truths about God's word that I think flow from this text that bolster why Paul is wanting Timothy to continue to increase the word of God in his life and why we should do the same. Here's why. First reason is this. It's the source of strong convictions. It's the source of strong convictions. And you have to remember, that's exactly what Timothy needs right now where he's maybe wavering in his decision-making, where he's not sure if he's gonna continue to move forward and to finish strong in the ministry and in the faith. Here, Paul says, don't you understand? The word of God is the source of strong convictions. And that is what you desperately need to stay anchored in the face of the storm. Now, notice that Paul draws attention. He calls Timothy to continue in two ways. First, in what you have learned and then combined with that and have firmly believed. You might want to circle that phrase, firmly believed in your Bibles. This speaks to a deep level of conviction in the heart of Timothy. It's not just something that you have learned and believed in the sense that you've thought about and you believe is intellectually true. This is something that has taken seed and is rooted in his heart. He believes this so firmly, it is unshakable, Paul is calling him to remember the convictions that have been formed over a lifetime of being immersed in the word of God. The truths of scripture, listen, are fixed, non-negotiable truths. They're not subject to compromise or dilution. They can't be watered down. They can't be changed to suit the times. It was those strong convictions held with equally strong tenacity and courage that made Timothy a worthy prospect to follow in Paul's footsteps. You know, Timothy had watched Paul. He he saw the life that Paul lived. He saw his commitment to the scriptures. And Timothy had exhibited the same kind of conviction about the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word of God. And so as Paul was worthy to be followed, so Paul wants to remind Timothy that because of the convictions you hold and the character that it has developed in your life, you too are a worthy man to be followed There's a basic kind of pattern here that we can draw upon and that we can embrace in our lives if we are going to continue to develop these strong convictions. Notice that he begins with learning. And the learning moves to a believing, that intellectual assent whereby you say, yes, I I believe that is true, and that moves to conviction, which is deepening that belief, pressing it into the heart, and here's what it produces, listen, stability. It produces a stable, strong, grounded individual. We need a little bit of that in our culture, don't we? I I feel like you look around and people are so unstable, they're so driven by emotions and fears and maybe even some of us at times, our life is characterized by that. We need to be those who are men and women of conviction and stability. I believe, in fact, that we are living in one of the most fragile times of all, one of the most fragile generations in all of history. This is a time where you can go to university campuses all over North America, and you can find university campuses and administrations kind of highlighting and setting apart safe spaces. You heard that term yet? Safe spaces where you, listen, as a grown adult, okay, It's important to qualify this. We're not talking about little kindergarten children. We're talking about grown men and women who have safe spaces where they can go if they feel in any way that they have been threatened. Now, 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 we're dealing with a culture that that is embracing this idea of what's being called microaggressions. A microaggression is a term that's being used right now that describes, listen, uh, somebody saying something that you may disagree with and because you disagree, and maybe don't, or you find it a little bit offensive, you feel like it is an aggressive behavior towards you. And so, listen, this is what's happening right now we're in our culture. So the littlest thing, somebody may disagree with you politically, somebody may disagree with you morally, ethically, religiously, and all of a sudden you can turn around and say, you know what, I really feel like your speech is, is becoming very aggressive, at least I feel that way, so I'm going to go over here and retreat to my safe space. That's what we're living in right now. We live in a culture that is being ruled more and more by emotions than it is by facts and truth. And what Paul wants to do with Timothy is to get him away from the emotional chaos that maybe he's inclined to be living in and anchored back in the source of strong convictions, the truth of God's word. I listened to one Christian counselor this week on a podcast talking about parenting He said, this is another just kind of tell about our culture, he said oftentimes he's dealing with kind of difficult children, and he'll look at children, youth in particular, and he'll ask them this question, you know, because he's convicted, what we need to be building into the lives of our children is stability. He says we need to be fighting for stable children, sturdy children is actually the language he uses, and he says right now we don't have sturdy children, we have children who are weak and, and frail, that's what our culture is producing, and sadly that's what a lot of parenting is producing Um, influenced by the culture, but he says, I ask these these youth oftentimes, do you want to be a person who does hard things? And the answer he gets back almost every single time by these young adults is this, well, what do you mean by hard things? Just think about that for a second. There isn't this sense in the culture where, where they're saying, yes, I wanna do what's hard, I, I wanna do what's necessary, I wanna do what's right, no matter the cost. There, there is a, a tendency to be afraid, or to look at maybe hard things, you say, what are the hard things? He says hard things mentally, hard things physically, hard things morally, like standing up to peer pressure at school for what is right and what is wrong, hard things spiritually, listen, like following Jesus Christ no matter the cost. He says these students look at him and say, well, I don't know. But you see, if we are going to fight against this in our lives and in our families, our children, it begins right here with developing strong convictions. This is on the screen behind you. I think I I boiled it down into what I hope is a helpful principle for us this morning. It's this, increasing knowledge developed into strong convictions builds a stable faith. And that's what we need in a culture that is declining on many fronts. What we desperately need is increasing knowledge. It's the intake of scripture that is developed into strong convictions and is building stable faith that will not be knocked around. We must not only listen and believe the right things, but we also must believe them worthy of our trust to the very end, unwilling to abandon them. Paul now kind of incites um, the, the heart of Timothy. He reminds Timothy's heart, about those who had passed the scriptures on to him. Did you notice that in verse 14? He says, knowing from whom you have learned it. This is intended to incentivize, to encourage Timothy to continue to press in and to hold fast to his convictions. You say, why? why would he bring up the people who have passed on these truths to him? Here's why, because we need to hear them clearly taught and see them consistently lived if we're going to hold to them faithfully. It is imperative, and this is such a powerful parenting principle, but it's powerful for just Christian living. Listen, what we desperately need examples of are those who are going to teach the word of God faithfully and live it consistently. Let me hear it from your lips, but let me see it in your life. Let me see decreasing hypocrisy in your life. Let me see the the, the integrity gap in your life. You You know, the gap between what God calls you to be and where you actually are. Let me see that decreasing over time as you faithfully strive by the power of the Spirit of God to walk in the truth of God's word. Paul here implies that there has been multiple influences the whom there is plural. and We already know, don't we, some of the influences that Paul, or excuse me, Timothy has had in his life. All the way back in chapter 1, Paul reminds him of those who had passed the faith on to him. His mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Certainly this involves Paul himself who had faithfully taken Timothy under his wing. He'd become a father figure to him. And he refers to him as his beloved child this is just a really sweet reminder. Listen, we got a lot of young families here, and, and we've got a lot of you who maybe your children are grown and moved out, and, and, and the, the, the opportunity to come alongside families is really, really important for you at this stage in your life. Listen, this, this highlights for us, listen, again and again, we talk about this in our children's ministry, the primary disciplers, parents, listen, of your kids is not the church, it's you. You have been given by God one of the sweetest and most precious opportunities to have one of the greatest impacts on a young life. When they're so impressionable, when their mind and heart are being formed and the world, you're protecting them in certain regards from the influence of the world, you can pour into them the word of God. The truth of scripture can flow to them from you. And it reminds us, too, if you think of Paul's uh, you know, being added to this equation, that the church comes alongside, and he, listen, the church complements the work of the parents, right? And that's what we strive to do even here. We want to be a resource for the parents. We want to serve you as parents. We want to help you grow in how you disciple your parents. And then we want to take your kids alongside you and work with them as well to continue to deepen their knowledge of the truth and the convictions of Scripture. We need this so desperately in this generation, just down the hall, we need to strive together in making mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And it begins by recognizing that the intake of scripture is essential because it is the source of strong conviction. Secondly, it's essential because it's the source of saving faith. I mean, that's, it's almost like Paul's going backwards here, but he wants to now kind of go back and root him even further uh, down. It's so like, Timothy, don't forget, this is what you've learned and these are the convictions that you've held. But don't forget, this is what's actually been saving you. Verse 15, it says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's looking at Timothy and he's saying Timothy you, you want another reason why you need to continue in what you have learned why you need to continue to hold firm to the truth that you have believed just remember your childhood Remember how you had been immersed in the word of God. And and here's what's really important to understand here, this ongoing, ever-increasing intake of scripture. Listen, this idea of from childhood implies an ongoing process. In other words, it wasn't just a one-time data dump into young Timothy whereby God just saved him and then made him exactly who he needed to be. It was an ongoing process where over time, this young Timothy was invested in in, in by those who loved him deeply. They poured the word of God in, parents, just listen to this, they poured the word of God in as often as they could, as early as they could, and over time, it gave little Timothy wisdom, leading him right to salvation. Now, can I just say this? You need to see this here. Did you know the primary purpose of scripture is to lead people to salvation, That is the primary purpose of Scripture. It is to lead people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just kind of give another principle here for for not only parents, but for all of us, listen, as, as we think about how we need to grow with this ongoing influx of scripture in our lives, no matter your age, no matter how spiritually mature or immature you are, this is true. Listen, unleashing God's word early and often in a life will not fail to have a lasting influence. Let me say that again, unleashing God's word early and often in a life will not fail to have a lasting influence in someone's life. This is such hope for parents of young children. You keep investing and trust that over time, God is going to unleash the power of his word to the truth that you have invested by his grace. Now, this does not mean that every child will be saved. It doesn't mean that every child uh, will certainly be saved at the same time or even at a young age, but here's the confidence you can have, and this is what Proverbs says. Train up a child in in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Listen, that is not a blanket promise, but it is a general axiom. More often than not, in other words, that proves to be true. That God in his grace takes the work and the effort of you as a, a parent or somebody who's investing in a young life and he will use it to create a lasting influence in their life. So parents, can I just encourage you? Make sure that your home is a place where the word of God is exalted. Make sure that your home is a place where the word of God is loved and treasured. Make sure your home is a place where the word of God is taught faithfully and regularly. Parents, make sure, listen, that your home is a place where the word of God is lived out consistently. Trust that God will use that. You may not see it immediately, but trust that God God will do in their young hearts what only he can do. Let the word do its work. Just expose yourself to it and others to it constantly. I think it's important to know, just flowing out of this verse, that the scriptures themselves, though they are living and active, Hebrews 4.12 says, they are not life. Jesus is life. But it is all the scriptures that point to Jesus Christ. It is to him that they point. In fact, Jesus said these words in John 5, verse 39. Do you remember? He's speaking to the Pharisees who claim to love the word of God. And he says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. A little further down in verse 46, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Isn't that amazing? He looks back to all of the Old Testament scriptures, which, by the way, is exactly what Timothy would have learned. And he says, don't you understand, Timothy, when Moses was writing the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, he was speaking primarily about me. And so you look to the Word of God for life. Understand that if you're truly looking to the Word of God and you truly long for life, see that it all points to me. This is such a, a powerful, powerful reminder that all of the Word of God really finds its central focus in Jesus Christ. And that reminds us, listen as well, that the Old Testament can be understood fully only through the revelation of Jesus Christ contained in the New Testament. Here's a a phrase that maybe will, will be helpful for you. We need to read the Old Testament, but all of Scripture, listen, Christocentrically. That's a fancy way of saying we need to read it through the lens of Jesus Christ. We need to look at it through the lens of what the New Testament teaches us specifically about Jesus Christ Only through personal trust, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are we able to know the salvation of God. And Paul expressed to Timothy that it was the Old Testament Scriptures that pointed towards salvation in Jesus Christ. Christ is the main subject. He is the main theme of all of the Scriptures. And all the Scriptures can only be rightly understood through faith in Him it's only then that the true power of the scriptures can be unleashed in your life. Now, I, I, I love to read with my kids. And we read the scriptures together often. And I also love to read other literature. I like to expose them to good, to good literature, even at a young age. So my, my two oldest are nine years old and seven years old. And uh, one of the things we've been doing over the last couple of years in particular is reading through you know, the, the, the great works of of. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, so we've you know, read through the, the Chronicles of Narnia, we've started reading through the Lord of the Rings, and, and it's interesting, because I, I explain to my kids, and many of you may know this, that those men were followers of Jesus Christ, and their stories that they wrote are heavily influenced by a biblical framework. What they're doing is they're taking biblical themes and biblical theology, and they're putting them into story form. In many ways, their intention was to highlight Christian truth. Now, let's just be very clear that there is no story on the face of this earth that highlights Christian truth better than the Word of God. Amen? But it is helpful to note in Christian literature or in literature that Christians have written how they adopt and embrace some of these themes and how powerful it can be. So I'm explaining all this to my kids, obviously, in a little bit less technical terms and just telling them how, you know, oftentimes we'll be reading something in the Chronicles of Narnia and that's intended to kind of remind us of a biblical truth or, or it finds its grounding or its foundation in, in a biblical truth. I'll never forget the first time we're reading through one of the the Narnia books, and before I had the chance to kind of pull something out, my daughter, just under her breath, as I'm reading through, she says, Oh my goodness. And I'm like, What? What's what's going on? She goes, Dad, that is just like Jesus. She's got these huge eyes that's just like Jesus right there. is Isn't it? That's just like Jesus. I'm like, yes. And every time we read through these stories and they see something that parallels scripture, they go, that, 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 that's just like Jesus, right? And I'm like, yes. And did you know that the way God wants us to read through the Old Testament is that as we go along and we see these truths being highlighted throughout the Old Testament, God wants us to look back at the Old Testament and say, that is just like Jesus. When we read through the sacrificial system and all these animals being slaughtered uh, with the, the hope of of forgiveness. That is just like Jesus. When we read about the Passover lamb and God's deliverance from slavery, we need to look at that and say, that is just like Jesus. When we read about Jonah in the belly of a well, fish for three days as Jesus does, listen, he brings it forward and then, that is just like Jesus. When we look at the temple and how it was the presence of God dwelling among men, that is just like Jesus because they all point to Jesus. And that's how God wants us to read through. Now, we need to be careful and we can't apply everything forward because God's Word doesn't allow us to do that. But see that the thread of Jesus, the common thread of salvation, and the common thread of our Savior are what Scripture loves to highlight. I think of Luke 24, and you see, when we start to do this, this is why this is important. Do you remember Luke 24? Jesus, after his resurrection, he veils himself as he walks along the road with two men He walks along the road to Emmaus, and and he begins, they don't know it's Jesus, but he begins to, to take them through the scriptures, the Old Testament, and he begins to open it up, and he begins to show them time and time again, Jesus in the Old Testament. This is where it spoke of me, and this is where it spoke of me, and this was pointing to me, and then Jesus leaves them, and do you remember what they say? They say, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened our eyes to these truths? Don't you see this is what God wants to do for you and for me? He wants our hearts to burn within us when we see the central, dominating theme of Jesus Christ in scriptures. He wants us to be enamored with Jesus Christ because he is so beautiful, he is so filled with holiness and glory and majesty, and he is so precious to us because he and he alone is the one who can offer salvation. So we need to consider that for just a second. If you're an unbeliever here today, please just just hear me say this, that the, the main theme of scripture, the whole point of scripture is so that you would know Jesus Christ and you would find salvation in him. God's word from beginning to end highlights the reality that you and I live in a broken world, cursed by sin, alienated from God. Our sin separates us completely, but it tells the unfolding story about how God loved his creation so much. He had planned before the ages began to enter into his creation as a man to come to this earth to live a perfect life and then to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice, a substitute in our place, a lamb once for all slain. He came to conquer our greatest enemy, sin and death. He rose from the grave and now he rules, listen, he rules, exalted to the heavens. He is returning one day to reclaim his kingdom where he will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. God's call for you is to believe this. Put your faith in the one who came to save you. But I would say today, if if you're wrestling through this, first of all, I would beg you to do this today. But, but I would say, if you're wrestling through this, that's okay too. You're, you're in a good place. We want people to come and wrestle with the truth of God's word. And so if you're here today saying, you know what, I'm not really sure if I believe that quite yet, or I'm, I'm just kind of wrestling through, or I have a lot of questions or doubts, then would you just do this, do this, do me this favor. Listen, take a copy of God's word, maybe the one that we already gave to you today. Take it home and read it. Say so you don't know where to start. start. Start in the gospel of John and just ask yourself this question. Every day, read a chapter and say, Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? See, I I just, I don't know if I can do this on my own. Can somebody help me? Yes, absolutely. Come and find me or one of the elders or the person you're sitting beside after the service and say, hey, would you read the Bible with me? Would you just like once a week? I mean, is anybody in here, if somebody said, would you read the Bible with me? I want to know who this Jesus is. Anybody in here willing to turn them down? Good, that's a good sign. We'd love to help you. And it's good to wrestle through these things. But if you're a follower of Christ, let me speak to you for a quick second. The question for you is this, what does my intake of God's word look like? How am I doing in that department? Do I have any intake of God's word right now in my life? Is it regular enough? Is it consistent enough? Maybe the question below that question, which is maybe most important, is this, what's my motive in going to the word of God? is my motive, and when I go to the word of God, simply to tick a box and say that I've been a good Christian, is my motive to somehow earn God's favor, thinking that, you know what, if you you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Is your motive... Driven by your own selfish pursuits, how you look, your own reputation, what you think you can get out of it for you and for you alone? Or listen, is it—is it what the supreme motive of all of scripture drives us towards? Is it your heart's desire to see Jesus Christ? Is it your desire to see your savior high and exalted? Is it your desire to savor him, to savor the sweetness of all that he is and all that he's done for you? I pray that that would increasingly be so in my heart and in yours. See, I need an ever-increasing intake of God's word in my life, but it can't stop there. It can't can't just be about information only. It has to go deeper than that, and so the second point for us this morning is this. I need an ever-increasing impact of God's word on my life. I need an ever-increasing impact of God's word on my life. There's way too many, you know, Christians who are just Bible fatheads, you know, like they have struggled getting in the front door here because of all this Bible knowledge they have, and yet their lives are thin and superficial, and they're not living for Jesus Christ. We need the truth driven from our head into our heart and then out through our hands, And this won't happen, listen, it can't happen in your life unless you understand and embrace the origin and the nature of the scriptures, unless you know where they came from and what they were intended to do in your life. And that's exactly what Paul does with Timothy here. He says, Timothy, these scriptures have saved you. And in one sense, here's the reason why. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now just note this here, it's the source of supreme authority, If you want the word of God to have increasing impact on your life, and I trust and pray that you do this morning, here's what you have to understand about it. It is the source of supreme authority. That's what Paul is really highlighting here. This phrase that it is breathed out by God, or some translations say it is inspired by God. Both are accurate, but I love the vivid imagery of the word of God being breathed out. It draws me, in my mind, all the way back to the origin of the universe. Doesn't it do that for you? Where God, do you remember? Do you remember in God's creative activity, Genesis 1 tells us how God brought all of creation into existence. It said that he spoke the word and everything was created. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Let me help you understand this. The point of that being true, not only is, is God responsible for creating it, here's what you have to see. Because he created it, he is the supreme authority over it. And see, the parallel is a striking one between how God spoke the world into existence and has authority over it, and how he spoke uh, the word of God into existence and has therefore been expressing his authority over us. The Bible originates with God. You know, claims of origins carry great significance because authority lives in the creator. This is why people invest such Herculean efforts in trying to disprove God as the earth's creator and in questioning the authenticity of the Bible. This is one of the primary reasons people say, you know what? Nah, God's not the creator. Nah, the Bible can't be real. Underneath a lot of those arguments is this simple reality. If someone is willing to admit that God is responsible for it, that he is the one who created us, and that his word is sovereignly of his voice and command, listen, then I must therefore submit to it. I got this on the screen behind me, this principle here, admitting to God's authorship is an acceptance of his authority over every aspect of life. And and this is a problem, right, for a lot of us in our hearts. We bump up against this because we recognize that we so desperately want to be in control. We want to be the supreme authority. We don't like being told what to do. And by stating that the scriptures are God-breathed, Paul is establishing the Bible's claim as God's authoritative word over all people. Did you notice what he says there in verse 16? All scripture is breathed out by God. Every part of this was of God's sovereign power. He spoke through men, Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21. He used men to write down exactly what he wanted contained for humanity, all that is necessary for life and godliness, right here in this book. Say, what does that mean for me? Here's what it means for you and for me it means I need all of it. Simply put, I need all of it. This is why Paul was called to preach the whole counsel of God. We need all of it to shape us and make us into the people God has called us to be. Now, This, again, like I said, this kind of bumps into us on so many different levels. And throughout church history, the Word of God has been taken, um, doctrinally speaking, to be exactly that, the Word of God, the authoritative rule over our life. It's what we submit to. And this has just been normal in the church because this is what the scriptures teach. But every once in a while in church history, we find examples of people who are pressing against the authority of the church and authority of God's Word and trying to distort it. And really what they end up doing is making themselves the authority. The most classic example of this or famous example of this is Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is one of the founding fathers of the United States of America, he's one of the framers of the Constitution, and in, in 1804, Thomas Jefferson, he took the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in particular, and you know he's coming out of this Enlightenment-era mindset where reason is the greatest and most supreme virtue. And so what he does is he he takes the word of God, he takes the gospels and he takes a little knife and he begins to take the pages and and identify what he believes to be true in scripture and what he believes to be false. And so he begins to cut out everything he thinks is true. Now, everything that's false is essentially everything that is supernatural. So he's anti-supernatural. I mean, so, you know, you think about all the miracles Jesus did, and, and, and then anything he doesn't like that goes against the grain of his the, the, moral thinking, so he cut out a lot of the, the phrases that Jesus said about moral, um, his moral teachings and ethics, and he ends up producing the life and morals of Jesus Christ, where he cut and pasted the sayings of Jesus he believed were true. Now, I just want you to hear this. Do you see what he was doing? He was taking what was meant to be God's supreme authority, and he was saying, you know what, God? You know, I kind of believe that you wrote this book, but there's some things in here I don't necessarily agree with or that I don't like, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually determine and tell you what's authoritative. So he was doing this. Here's God's authority over him. He was saying, you know what? Let me tell you, God, what the real authority should be. Now, here's why I think this is an issue, because I think that we can sometimes do this in our culture, Sometimes we do this without even thinking about it. Sometimes we do this kind of uh, a daily basis when we're wrestling with sin. We look to the word of God, or we know what the word of God says, and we say, you know what? And people do this even uh, you know, who claim to be Christians where they, you know, they take God's word, and they say, you know what? O- okay, I believe that this is the authority. Yeah, God wrote this book, and I should be under the word of God in every regard, but as I, I read this book, you know what? There's some things in here that just I just don't really like. They don't really fit with my goals, and the objectives that I have for my life, they kind of conflict with that, so you know what, I'm just gonna just take them, and I'm just gonna tear them right out of my Bible, and just, you know what, forget that. Or they come across some things in God's word, and they start saying, you know what, I really, I really don't like this idea of an eternal hell, or, or this, this talk of God being a God who's going to judge and and sin? What is that? can't I can't live with that thinking. Forget that. And this over here that Jesus talked about loving my neighbors as myself and loving my enemies and praying for those who persecute me, does he know what my enemies are like? And pretty soon, we're left with a Bible that looks about that thin. And eventually, on this trajectory, we begin to say, you know what? Really, there's nothing in here that's, that worthwhile at all is beginning to conflict with my way of life and the way I want to live my life, so you know we take and we just throw it away. Now before you rush the stage, just know that that wasn't my actual Bible. It's right here. I didn't tear out any pages of my Bible, I not want any. It's just a notebook. Just think of it as like a, a secular self-help book. Oprah wrote that book, okay? <laughs> But you see, you know what, I I think we need to understand that when we refuse to heed God's word, when we refuse to let it be the authority of our lives, essentially what we're doing is we're tearing pages out of our Bible and saying, God, that doesn't fit with me, it doesn't fit with my life, and we're trying to be the authority when God says, you know what Ian, you know what's better for you? It's when you come under my authority. See, see we, we view God as if he's somehow trying to vindictively and vengefully control us, you know, like a dictator up in the sky who simply wants harm for us and not good. And yet when we look at scripture, we see that God is a loving father who says, don't you understand, Ian, you're my child and I love you and I want what's best for you and you don't always know what's best for you, but I always do. And so when you submit to my word, you can just understand this. Listen, it may mean that life can be hard. It may mean that you might have challenges. It may mean people might not like you very much, but you can be assured of this. It is honoring and pleasing to me, and it will go well for you. Not in, if not in this life, listen, it will in the end. The problem with treating the Bible as if it's not the full authority over life is this. We lose. We lose. We lose. In rejecting God's authority, I suffer in my sinful autonomy. When we throw the Bible away in the trash can, and listen, maybe maybe some of you are just sitting here, you're like, well, I haven't thrown the Bible away. Okay, but maybe it's been sitting on the nightstand table for far too long collecting dust. And maybe that you're exhibiting by the frequency by which you go to God's word and dig into God's word, that there really isn't much of an authority in your life. And what we end up losing and missing out on is this, the practical purpose that God has for us in his word. He desires to take his word and to actually begin to change us through his word. You see, it's the source of sanctifying power in our lives. I need an ever-increasing impact of God's word on my life, but I can't have that until I realize that this is the source of sanctifying power. This is what God wants to use to change me. Now, Jesus said this in John 17, 17: Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Paul uses this word here really importantly. He says, All scriptures be there by God. And notice this, and it is profitable. That the word can be translated as helpful, it is useful, it is beneficial for your life. God intends the word of God not to be some history book that simply gives you a whole bunch of intellectual information. He has designed it to actually be something that chisels away at you and makes you into who he wants you to be. The practical usefulness of scripture in daily affairs of this world is directly tied to its origins from outside this world. Paul now spells out the benefits with four terms. And some people think that these four terms are split into two categories. The first two leaning towards our belief system, and the second two leaning more towards our behavior. I think it's, it's possible to see them this way. I think you'll see why. Either way, all of them are, are incredibly practical and relevant. Notice this first it is profitable for teaching. The Word of God, if you haven't seen this already uh, throughout 2 Timothy, it instructs us on everything necessary for life and godliness. And the teaching of Scripture comes alongside, you can phrase it like this, comes alongside us and said this, hey, here's some things you need to know. Here's some things you, you, you need to know. You don't know them, you need to be informed about them. Here's what you need to believe. Here's truths that will change your life if you embrace them. Secondly, Notice this, he says, it's profitable for reproof, or rebuke can be the word, and again, if you think about this in terms of behavior, it's the negative form of teaching. So in other words, it comes alongside and it points out and confronts our disobedience or or, or our unhealthy, ungodly way of thinking. God comes along and needs to reprove us. He says, this is how you've been thinking wrongly, and you need to change your thinking according to my teaching. Now when it comes to behavior, you follow this, he says this, it's possible for correction. In other words, it's the negative side. Again, here's some things you need to stop. You know, when sin leads us off the path of righteousness, God's word is like a good friend who points out our sin, comes alongside us lovingly, graciously, and firmly, helps us get back on the right path. You veered off course. Now let's get back to stable ground, the right path. And then finally, especially with behavior, it's profitable for training in righteousness. I love this term. It's the same term that is used for the instructing of children, disciplining in the appropriate way, discipling and raising them up in the knowledge of God in righteousness. God's word says, yes, you need correction. Here's how you're off the path. And then it comes alongside and says, here's how you get back on the path. Here's some things you need to stop. Here's some things you need to start. It builds us up, taking us from immaturity to maturity. This is why it's essential to be in the word. As Jesus said to Satan when he was tempted by him in the desert, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Intake, Christian, listen, listen. Intake must move, excuse me, scripture must move from the intake to the impact. If you're anything like me, and again, I'm assuming you are, we sometimes struggle with the word of God having an impact on our lives, don't we? Maybe, maybe you're sitting like, okay, I've got some intake, like I'm taking in the Word of God, you know, but it doesn't seem to be changing me in any way. It's not really changing the way I think or changing the way I live. It's not having the kind of impact on my life that I know it should have. What's happening? I love what Tim Keller says. He has this quote that I, I ripped off of a tweet from a while back. He says this, he says, to learn and digest the Word of God requires a fight, We must fight our busy schedules, our distracted minds, our stubborn hearts, and the world's opinion and disdain. There's so many things that are preventing God's word from seeping into our souls. Our schedules dominate us. Our minds are so distracted with other lesser things. Our hearts are stubbornly resisting because of sin. And then you throw on that the world's opinion and disdain and our longing for a reputation in this world. It's no wonder that staleness often sets in, right? You ever feel that way in your spiritual life? Man, I just feel stale. I feel like I'm not getting any traction. I'm reading the word, but I can't remember a single thing I've read when I walk away from God's word. I wanna help you with this. And i got four things I want to I give you. You see, I, just, I think we need to see sometimes um, the staleness in our life is because we've been trying to do things the same way all the time. There's lots of reasons, but I just want to give you some helpful thoughts, maybe practically speaking. You know, there is um, physiology tells us that our, our body actually, when we begin to work out or exercise, our body begins to plateau because it begins to adjust to the way we begin to do things. So there are lots of workout systems and programs that teach based on physiology, that what you need to do is you need to mix things up. Every once in a while, mix things up, you know, change the intensity, change the routine, and that kind of shocks the body back into growth. And I would just suggest to you this morning that sometimes our staleness in our Christian life is because of that exact principle. And we need to change things up to help shock ourselves back into more exponential spiritual growth and health. And so here are some ways. I don't know how you've been doing it, how you've been doing uh, your time in the Word. And by the way, if you haven't been spending the time in the Word, then the first shock to your system would be to spend time in the Word. It's pretty simple. But if you have been and you're feeling like it's stale, let me just give you some suggestions. Here's, here's one. Um, the first is this have a structured plan. If you don't, maybe, you know, I'm not a big fan of the point and shoot Bible reading plan. You got that one? You know, you're just going to drop and then you just put your finger down wherever it lands. Like, well, that must be God's Word for me today. That is a bad plan. Okay? This is a bad plan. But what you can do is you can find great Bible reading plans. There's a Bible app that you can get as hundreds of plans. We have something you can download on our website. You can go through the Bible in a year. You can go through the Bible in 90 days. You can go through the Bible with various focuses chronologically. Sometimes that structured plan just helps get some momentum, and starts giving you some traction. Maybe you've been doing that, and you're like, man, that's, what's my, that's my problem right now. Okay, here's what you can do. I've done this before. Just shift things up. Do a book study. Do a book study. Pick one book of the Bible, maybe, that, that you just have wanted to dig in, that you don't really understand, and, and you just want to dive in deep, and you want to read that book over and over again, and maybe get a commentary to help you study that book. That could be a helpful way just to shock your spiritual life back into action here. The third thing, you can try this. Maybe you've done that too. Try a topical study. This is, again, a great way to, to dig deep into maybe there's an area practically in your life that you need to work on. Maybe a sin. And you're like, I, I can't figure out this anger. I can't figure out this lust. I can't figure out my pride. You can do a topical study on one of those areas and trace the theme throughout scripture and begin to really dig deep into that area. An area of theology, that you've been always wondered about or wrestled through. Maybe you can dive in deep and trace that through Scripture. And here's one that maybe I'll, I'll give you just it's a little bit different, but it's been super helpful in my life, even this summer, is memorize. Memorize God's Word. Stop reading huge chunks and start memorizing smaller chunks and then allowing it to percolate in your heart. You know, I've been memorizing 2 Timothy this summer with a group of other men as we preach through it. And can I just tell you, I just tell you to say, it, is, it has been such Uh, a refreshing way to digest the word of God for me personally. And I just want to commend it to you as an option for your spiritual growth. There are plenty others we could look at, but hopefully that just gets the ball rolling. You know, getting so often, getting back into God's word is just figuring out a place to start. And so maybe this is just a helpful start for you. Lastly, if you're going to continue to have an increasing impact of God's word on your life, you need to recognize this. It's the source of spiritual sufficiency. It is in here that God gives you everything you need, listen, for life and godliness. For the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellencies. This is the place. We don't need to run. Listen, if your spiritual life is in a slump, if your life is falling apart at the wheels, what you need is not a self-help book. You don't need to run to the doctor necessarily. You don't need to turn to anything but the word of God first and foremost. Paul says to Timothy, listen, all of this is profitable, has been given to you for these reasons, and here is the end product that God is aiming at, that the man or woman you're included to of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, This is God's desire for you and me. He wants to save us, he wants to sanctify us, and then he wants to supply us with everything we need to do what he's called us to do. The word of God is the primary means by which God fits us to carry out his will in his world. It's the greatest resource we possess alongside the indwelling presence of the spirit of God. The challenges of life and ministry are endless. They were for Timothy, and I trust they are for you too as you sit here today. But God's Word provides all we need to face everything in this life. If we are gaining an increased impact of God's Word in our lives, it keeps us in a state of constant readiness to do God's will. The old saying is true God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. But God calls, and then he equips the call, listen, through the ongoing, ever-increasing intake of his word in your life and mine, and listen to the ever-increasing impact of his word on your life and mine. That is how God prepares us to be who he wants us to be and to do what he has called us to do. There are many good works out there waiting for you and I, The question is are we prepared, competent, equipped by God's word, ready, willing, anticipating, and excited.